With the 25th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, the draft, the journey to the draft is over. The 2019 draft. That was my my next line. Jeez. I'm not in your head. Ah. I'm Chris McPherson, joined alongside Fran Duffy. It is the Journey to the Draft Podcast. Yes, the journey for 2019 is over. We can all breathe a sigh of relief. Uh, We're going to recap the Eagles' five-man draft class. Probably a little surprising that it was more quality over quantity here in 2019, especially with the amount of picks the Eagles had going in. But nonetheless, a lot done by the Eagles on draft weekend. Uh, We're going to give our thoughts on the moves and the implications of them in our draft buzz segment, kind of, you know, changing things up here for this recap edition podcast. And then uh, Tony Pauline, who had an outstanding, phenomenal weekend, is going to be our Mr. Relevant to recap not just the Eagles draft, but the surprises from around the league and give us a scouting report of what he thought of the draft classes of the NFC East. And uh, Tony was very high on what the Eagles did this past weekend. Uh, but when ranking, Fran, the winners and losers from draft weekend, okay. I think the gentleman sitting to my left, you're right if you're watching on the screen, Mr. Fran Duffy, is one of the big winners because little Francis did not come during draft weekend, That's which right. was something that I almost, if I were a betting man, I might have gone to uh, to Vegas. and uh, Said he was coming? I might, might, <laughs> might pop a little surprise there on, on surprise draft weekend. Surprise first-round pick? Yes, no, he, uh, nicely he, done. He stayed put for uh, for <laughs> for the time being. We'll see. I'm on, uh, I'm on high alert right now. Certainly. So, uh, obviously, many fans are probably thinking to themselves, well, this going to be it? Is this going to be the end of the uh, podcast for a little while? Will there be a hiatus? But uh, in fact, that will not be the case. I may not be as involved, but Fran, you're going to keep the journey to the draft. You're you're you already got your eyes on 2020. Yeah, I think you know what we've done in years past is is this would be our final episode of the season. Uh, last year was the first where we came back for I believe tra- the start of training camp was when uh, this season of Journey to the Draft started. Well. That won't be the case this year. We're going to keep this going uh, all season long, all year long. And really what you're going to see over the next few weeks is this, C-Mac. We're going to have our recap today. And then over the next three weeks, I'm going to kind of dive deep into each day of the draft, the Eagles selections on each day. So for you fans out there that may not be uh, Eagles fans, It'll be more Eagles-centric, but still interesting because you're following the journey of these prospects. So next week will be a journey through Andre Dillard's journey through the draft. And so we're going to cover all the discussion we had about Andre from the beginning of this season all the way up through draft weekend, including some of the coverage from this weekend. So that'll be a lot of fun. I'm really, really looking forward to it as an idea I came up with uh, a few months back and uh, really excited to put that episode together. And then the following week, we'll have uh, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside with Miles Sanders and, and their journeys to the draft, followed by the guys on day three, Clayton Thorson and Sharif Miller. Uh, and then over the course of the summer, we'll have some conference previews for what to expect this fall, some, some guests that will t- cover some evaluation and philosophy and process and stuff like that. That'll be a lot of fun. I know a lot of people are really interested in that side of it and just the, the, the background and the motivation behind uh, how people view scouting and, and watching these college players. So the plan will be for that to happen over the course of the summer and then we're right back in the saddle by training camp we'll be uh doing conference previews and talking about positions and players for the 2020 draft so what was the final number 
when all was said and done. So uh, three fifty six, I think, is the number. That, by the way, for those who may not have listened to the previous podcast, but we we are getting an influx of new listeners for yes. this episode because they want they maybe not not as interested in the build up to the draft, but once that they're Eagles, they want to find out more about no them. question. So uh, the number that Fran just referenced was the amount of players he scouted personally leading into draft weekend. About eighty of them were not drafted, so that, that hurts me. That pains me. Well, so there was a lot of time spent on guys that didn't. That's get not drafted. necessarily guys you said would be drafted. They're of just course, guys it was you just watched. who I studied. Of course, exactly. So that's that's going to happen. You're going to yeah. hear a name. You're going to watch, and you're going to be like, "Yeah, this guy's not going to." That's make right. It. So, uh, a special shout to Peter Kelly, our producer behind the glass. He's taken the reins of the podcast the last couple of weeks and right. done a phenomenal job. And he's going to be uh, very hands on, very much involved in. Uh, setting the direction for our podcasts moving forward. So Peter Kelly has a name to watch in the upcoming future. And just a thank you to all of you listeners who have been with us through the entire journey. And I think that the episodes that Fran referenced and, and kind of gave a glimpse into in terms of what's coming, you know, sort of the uh, the journeys of Andre Dillard, Miles Sanders, J.D.R. Sega, Whiteside, and the like, showcases the knowledge you get all year round listening to it. I think it just validates the work that That's what it is. you, Ben Fennell, and Tony Pauline have done all year round is that you were talking about Andre Dillard back in September before he was considered – a first round pick That's right. that you've been hyping these guys up. You know, can't wait to have Tony Pauline on because in the weeks leading up to the draft, he was saying JJ Arcega Whiteside is going to be a second round pick. He yep. said that multiple times. And that's just one of the few examples of the many examples, I should say, of Tony having a great weekend. But I didn't think it was going to be for the Eagles per se, but nonetheless, JJ Arcega Whiteside with the 57th overall selection is a Philadelphia Eagle. So let's get into the recap portion of what the Eagles did on draft weekend in our draft buzz. Take it away. Now it's time for draft buzz. A little different spin on draft buzz for this recap episode. Just going to be Fran and myself going yep. through the pick. So with the 22nd overall selection in the 2019 NFL draft, the Eagles selected tackle Andre Dillard. Out of Wazoo, Washington State, the Eagles moving up three spots from 25 to 22 in the trade with the Baltimore Ravens. The is something I found very fascinating that hit me pretty much right after we made the move. The Eagles gave up the first-round pick, 25 overall, a fourth-round pick, and a sixth-round pick to move up the three spots. Yep. Ten years ago, the 2009 NFL draft, leading into the draft because it wasn't during – draft weekend, the Eagles traded a first, a fourth, and I believe it was a future sixth, but it was a first, a fourth, and a sixth, gave all that to Buffalo to acquire future Hall of Famer Jason Peters. Very astute uh, memory and uh, observation by you. So, nonetheless, though, the Eagles get a player who they think can be a franchise cornerstone down the road. It's not a pick that you need for 2019. It's a player who can come in, learn behind Jason Peters, and eventually, hopefully, one day soon, get on the football field. Yeah, and one of the things that really stood out to me about Andre Dillard was his athleticism, his balance. He, well, he was never on the ground watching him, and I watched him a couple games early in the fall, watched a couple more late, uh, right before the Senior Bowl, and then a couple more after the Combine. So I just try, I tried to pepper it in throughout the course of the pre-draft process, and Every time, you know, his movement skills really stood out. Just very confident, very under control as a pass protector. Uh, and honestly, that body control was something that uh, Jeff Stoutland talked about in a breakdown he and I did for the website.
website and for all of our social channels in case you had missed that. But. I like how you just kind of like throw it in there. Oh, just a little breakdown we did. Jeff Stoughton was... I mean, he was... He was awesome. He was yes. the star of the show, like without question. It was like ten minute breakdown. I mean, there are things like he'll die, and that's one of the things about you know people like to rip coaches and rip scouts and stuff like that. And then when you start to like talk to a you start to talk to a guy like Jeff Statlin, and he starts breaking down film and he's talking about you know an offensive lineman reading the the foot placement and the steps of a pass rusher, and I'm like, I not in a million years would I think to like look at that. Like that's awesome. It was such good insight. It was stuff that you're only going to get from a from an offensive line coach and one that's as good as Jeff Stalin. And I thought there were that was that's one pearl of wisdom. There were a dozen other uh, in that ten breakdown. You know, just go back check check out a ten minute breakdown with uh, with Jeff Stalin. He was awesome. I hope you get to do more of these with the other draft picks. We get do some Miles Sanders yep. and that would be the Carson hope. Walsh on Jay Jaw down the line. Yep. So and so on and so forth. But overall, though, you know. Just tremendous value, though. Again, this is a player who Harry Roseman said was a top ten overall player on the board. We were not expecting him to be. I know you and I were not expecting him. No, because my first exposure was a Senior Bowl, but I think it was the Combine where his athleticism and his body movement skills just stood out. And again, I between the two of us, my my eyes are completely untrained compared to what Fran has seen over the years. It was just that noticeable. Andre Dillard was just that much better a physical specimen out there doing the drills yep. than almost every other prospect in Indianapolis. So at that point you say, okay, you, you almost take the Lane Johnson model where it's like, okay, someone who's got the size, the athleticism, the ability to bend and move, he's going to be a top 10 pick, top 15. Okay, maybe because of the defensive line class, yep. maybe top 15. Uh, but because of the fact that, you know, because of all this defensive line, because Daniel Jones went six to the New York Giants, yep. certainly helped. You know, Cleveland Farrell going fourth to the Raiders. No, no question. Those, those were the things, and we were talking about this before the draft. As an Eagles fan, you wanted those things to happen. You needed those positions like tight end, TJ Hawkinson going number eight. Dwayne two. Haskins going 15. Dwayne Haskins. You know, those, those moves were wins yep. for the Eagles. And then Chris one, Lindstrom going 14. Yes, exactly. Actually, that's good. Yeah, that's right. You know, those were the, those were the little things. I forgot about Chris Lindstrom yeah. going, going ahead. So, uh, so actually, so I guess he was actually the fourth yep. offensive lineman taken in the draft. So, so, but once you get past 15, okay, so Carolina was in position to take offensive linemen. They didn't take one. They went pass rusher. They yep. went pass rusher. You had Minnesota. Went they center. Took, they went Garrett Bradbury. Okay. So once you got past those couple picks, Eagles were probably thinking at that point, we need to we need to go get this guy. And credit to Howie Roseman and just understanding the draft, looking at the board and saying, we got to get ahead of Houston at 23. Yep. Okay. Got to get ahead of Houston at 23. And they made the deal with with Baltimore. Which Baltimore's another team that I could have seen. Take. That's what they said. They initially wanted to get ahead of Baltimore. Yes. So they were worried about Baltimore making the pick. And what's interesting, I forgot where I read this, but Baltimore was nervous when they made the pick with Philadelphia because they thought they were going to go up for Marquise Brown. Right. Yep. So they were like, well, we really want Marquise Brown. The Eagles might take him. And that's because people ask all the time, when they do the trades, do they know who they're going for? And it's like, no, they're not. It's it's if our guy, if the player we want is there, it's not. We're gonna go up and take player X here and give the name. It's like, no, it's and, you just gotta do the deal and hope that you hope that your research leading into the draft bears the bears the fruit that all right, most likely this is who they're going for. That's and, where you rely on your pro scouts, your scouting department to be able to do the job there. Correct. So. 
again, you look at the offensive line now, already a very talented offensive line, uh, just getting the long-term solution at the position, okay? You know, there's no knock on Jordan Mailata because I'm sure a lot of people are probably thinking that. You know, you you never know how things are going to plan out. You never know how things are going to develop. But you get a guy who, again, just so such a good prospect, tremendous value. Not, he's a number one number one tackle on your on your board. Yep. In this draft, and you're and you can get him at 22. It's, it's, no it's unheard of. It's unheard of. No, it was uh, it was outstanding value. Wasn't expecting him to be there, uh, and he checks a lot of the boxes as, we, as we've talked about. It's being ready with the plan. So when those scenarios happen, you may not in your pre-draft you know mock scenarios that may not come up, but you gotta be at the at the ready in case it does. Yep. So second round. Let's go to day two now. Day two. Eagles have two second round picks. You're wondering, will the Eagles stay? Because a lot of good players didn't get selected in the first round. Yep. So you figured there's going to be some good talent there for the Eagles to pick through, pick from there at number 53, the first of the two second-round picks, and the second one just being four spots later. So at 53, the Eagles do stay, and they take a running back, Miles Sanders, out of Penn State, grew up in the Pittsburgh region, was an outstanding high school prospect, considered – Pretty much the number one recruit in the state of Pennsylvania. Yep. The number one running back prospect in the country. Stays close to home. Goes to Penn State. The only problem is they have a guy named Saquon Barkley there. So it's not until 2018 when Sanders becomes a full-time starter and rushed for over 1,000 yards. Was a three-down weapon. Also good on special teams as a kickoff returner. Uh, showcased all the skills that you know, will fit in nicely in this Eagles offense. You know what opened my eyes most to me about Miles Sanders just after the pick Mm -hmm. was talking with James Franklin on Saturday. And James Franklin saying, you know, we had we had a big plan for Miles Sanders coming back. You know, we thought we were gonna incorporate him much more in the into the passing game. We were gonna do much more with him as a receiver. And a lot of the feedback that I had gotten from teams, this is James Franklin talking, gotten from teams, whether it was at the pro day whether it was a private workouts, the combine, all the players or all the scouts, all the coaches that talked to me was saying how impressed they were with his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield, all the things that he was doing as a route runner. To me, that's what elevates him and puts him in that echelon of like, yeah, this is a guy you want to take with the 53rd pick. You know, he's a guy very well-rounded on film, you know, instincts as a runner, ability to make people miss. He's elusive. But when you say, okay, you can be that movable chess piece for an offense, what Alvin Kamara has been for the New Orleans Saints as a former third-round pick out of Tennessee, you know, what Tariq Cohen has been for the Chicago Bears, if you can be that kind of player, and we're not saying he's like that exactly in terms of build and stuff like that, but if you can be that guy for this team and be a matchup problem, that's where you're saying, like, yeah, this guy is going to have a big impact, and he's got the ability to be that kind of impact player for Doug Peterson in this offense. Who was taken with the 53rd overall selection in the 2009 NFL Draft? All-time leading rusher in, in Eagles history. Well, that's LaShawn McCoy. LaShawn McCoy. There you it's go. another weird correlation. You know, just pure coincidence nonetheless. But it's fascinating to me. Nonetheless, to me, of course, you mentioned the ability to be a pass catcher and whether a player can develop in that regard. I even think back to Corey Clement because that was a big question about him coming yep. out of Wisconsin, was could he be a pass catcher? And what does he do as a rookie free agent in the Super Bowl, notch a 100-yard receiving performance and a, a phenomenal, phenomenal touchdown, which helped the Eagles get the win. This goes across the board, and there's you have that, you have that example. You've got Dallas Goddard as a blocker last year. 
It's not about what a guy did in college, period. Correct. It's about what a guy did in college that proves that he can or cannot do something for you moving forward. It's about what a guy can do for you in the future. And so, yeah, like he wasn't asked to catch the ball, Corey Clement at, at Wisconsin. Dallas Goddard wasn't asked to be a point of attack blocker. Can he do that moving forward? And, that, and that's the question with all these guys at all, every critical factor along the way in terms of their evaluation. And, and I think that's a big part of it with Sanders. I think there are a lot of people who question whether or not the Eagles value the running back position. To me, I feel like how we want to make sure the Eagles got one in this draft class because last couple of years there have been some talented backs early in the draft that the Eagles missed out on for one reason or another, just the way the board yep. had fallen for them. I feel like they hear – because maybe he had some good offers to trade back, and he maybe just said, you know what, we didn't expect Miles Sanders to be here. Because remember, he was talking with Deuce Daly about, you know, let's, let's uh, hope for some good karma today, some good luck that he'll still be there. That's right. You know, a lot of people, I think, believe that Miles Sanders was, was going to go somewhere in the 40s. He's sitting there at 53. I'm sure the Eagles probably just ran to the podium at that point and said, you know what, this is our running back, this is our guy. Boom, we got him, we got Jordan Howard, we got Corey Clement coming back from the injury. That's a nice threesome to start with. Then you factor in Wendell Smallwood, who can be a reliable veteran. You have Josh Adams in his second yep. year. Can't wait to see what he can do. Boston Scott is someone who they brought from the Saints practice squad. Electric, man. He's a explosive. Certainly. Danelle Puffery. So you have a nice group to compete with. That You pretty much are set at that position moving forward, and which is great because that's a position early in free agency where Eagles fans were on social media like, announce the running back. When's the running back coming? Where's the running back? <laughs> You know. I remember saying that to Dave during the uh, during the stream after we uh, we drafted Miles Sanders was, Dave, how long ago does it seem that the owners meeting at the owners meetings that was the number one topic for yeah. Howie and for Doug was what are you guys going to do a running back? It was before the Jordan Howard trade and yeah. before obviously the draft. And it's like, guys, there's a lot of off season left. Yes, that's proved a point. One note I actually missed on Diller that I want to bring up real quickly. That, is it that his or was it his former offensive line or his uh no this is you coach? you you found this one <laughs> you go with this one I'll go with mine so his offensive line coach Mason Miller I was just looking up his bio um, you know for an interview I'm doing later down the road and uh, Mason Miller on his bio it says coached former NFL or former Eagles offensive lineman Nick Cole Nick Cole. <laughs> <laughs> Two totally different linemen. You look at the totally body types. Nicole was like six foot three fifty. That's right. He coached him at uh, was it New Mexico State? New Mexico State. That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. So that that <laughs> I thought that was the he's, point you were going to bring like, up. He had no like first thing this morning. It's like <laughs> it's like seven thirty in the morning. I said I got to send this to CMAC. But I enjoyed that's the thing. Yeah. I was like I was like I remember Nicole. That's I it. Remember Nicole? It's too funny. Um, my note was going back to Howie and trading that. Since 2010, yeah. how his first year when he was general manager in that, now he's the executive vice president of football operations, uh, he was overseeing the draft. The Eagles have moved up four. This is the fourth time they've moved up. In the first round. First round. The first three times have all been very, very successful. BG in 2010, Fletcher in 2012, and Carson in 2016. So, That's great. It's a great track record right there. Very, very good track record. That's something, that's another thing that dawned on me on, uh, on draft night on Thursday night when it was like, Every anytime they've moved up for a guy, love it. It's been very good. Yep. So four picks later in the second round, fifty-seven overall. There were actually some rumblings the Eagles were going to actually trade down here. Okay, I believe it was reported that the Eagles and the Jets had a deal in place that if Miko Hardman, the receiver from Georgia, were still on the board, the mm. Eagles were going to trade back and get some additional picks. But Miko Hardman 
went one selection earlier, 56 overall, I believe, to the Kansas City Chiefs. Who traded up. Who traded up, yep. knowing that there was a chance the Eagles could be doing something there. So, so the Eagles stay at 57, okay, and get a tall, athletic, big-bodied, sure-handed wide receiver in J.J. Arcega-Whiteside out of Stanford. And so, like, to me, when I watch J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, and we've talked a lot about big receivers over the course of this offseason. You did a whole podcast. A whole podcast on it. We've talked about just all the big wideouts in this class. And, you know, we've talked about D.K. Metcalf and Hakeem Butler and A.J. Brown and, uh, you know, the list goes on and J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. And people ask me on Twitter, oh, you know, I thought, what, what is it about the big receivers? I thought that, you know, the guys that can't separate. Well, two things. One, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside ran 4-4-9 at his pro day, and that kind of helped him out. He, it was not like Kelvin Harmon who ran in the 4-6s. Um, you know, some of these other guys didn't run all that well, especially go back to the 2018 draft. A lot of those guys that went much later than expected didn't run well. So he ran 4-4-9, number one. Number two, he's a great kid, and they have all the intangibles and everything there. But he catches everything. Like, he was unstoppable to the point where, and I said this on the, on the broadcast, they would line him up in the red zone. Everybody in the stadium and their mother knew that the ball was going to J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, and no one could stop it from happening. He, w- he was automatic. And to me, like that was the difference between him and D.K. Metcalf. That was the difference between him and Hakeem Butler. Those guys, for being, for being guys that want to win that way, that are going to be those contested catch, you know, jump ball guys, they were not as effective in that role. Whereas JJ, I mean, he like I said, he was automatic. I mean, he, it was a pure 80-20 ball for him, not 50-50. He had the ability to go up and win consistently, and that was the thing, the thing that stood out to me about JJ watching him on film. Like you said, phenomenal kid, and I loved it during his conference call on Friday night. He explained how going for a jump ball is not just jumping in the air. It's all about positioning. It's all about reading the ball, and you know, it's very cliche that if somebody has the Baseball background, right. they can track the ball. Yep. He's got well. He's got a basketball. He was all state at Dorman, South Carolina High School in basketball. Three three sport all state. In fact, track as well. But uh, you know, he understands in terms of body positioning and reading the ball in the air. That it's like there's a fine art to being able to come down with those contested catches, contested catch balls instead of just you know being able to outpoint. Uh, a cornerback. So he scored two touchdowns against UC Davis. It was like early in the year. It was like week one, week two, whatever it was. Okay. And on the first one, it was in that down in the red zone, like 10, 12 yards out. He's on the right side. And like I said, everyone in the stadium knows ball's going to JJ. Uh, they didn't purely bracket him, but it, it was one corner playing uh, outside leverage. JJ Arcega Whiteside, it was looked like a guy on the low post in basketball. Like he just backed him down, wasn't, <laughs> and just like literally like just out jumped him. And that like the corner had no shot. The corner just looks to the referee, was like, Are you kidding? Like threw his hands up, like palms up to the, the referee. And the ref's like, He didn't do it. Like he didn't do anything wrong when he went up and beat you. And then they come back, like two, it was two series later, same part of the field, except this time he's on the left side. And he sells a little inside stem. The corner thinks, oh, he's going to go and, and run the same route, tries to jump it, and he buzzes out on the corner route, and he scores in the back, t- back pie line. I mean, he's, he's tough to defend down there. And he's not – it's like Alshon. It's not like he's 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. Like, he's 6'2 and change. He's yeah. not the tallest guy, but he understands how to use his body, how to get in the right position, how to time the ball, how to play it. He's excellent in that area. He plays big. He plays he like does. he's 6'5". Six, he plays six, above six. the rim. And it's funny because during that same conference call, he was asked, oh, who, who are the receivers you emulated? And the first person he named was Alshon. Yeah. And he said, I know I just got selected to be his teammate, but Alshon was the 
was the guy because he plays the same way. Yep. So, I mean, even and even the front office staff, when talking about him, have said it's like looking at an earlier version of Alshon. So it's a perfect guy again. And you look at the Eagles' depth chart wide receiver. You already have Alshon. You added Deshaun Jackson. You have Nelly in the slot. You don't need Arcega Whiteside to come in and play yep. right away. He can come in and just say, "You go watch what Alshon does each and every day to be ready to be a professional." That's how you're gonna win. And that's it. Just go do that. Andy Campbell and I talked with uh, David Shaw uh, on Saturday morning as well. And David Shaw, the head coach of Stanford, of course. Um, Said, you know, he, he was here in Philadelphia. He was a coach very early in his coaching career. And he said, Philadelphia is going to love him. Like his play style, everything that, you know, his play personality. That's great. Um, you're going to love And there was a play that I actually brought up and, um, to Coach Shaw, USC. So this was, I think this was like week three, week four. Bryce Love takes off for like a 50, I think it was a 57 yard run down the left sideline. JJ was lined up on the back side, he was on the right side. And you just see Arcega Whiteside bust it from the opposite side of the field run all the way out to the left sideline, and he's out as a lead blocker for Bryce Love, helped him pick up an extra, like, 25 yards. That's awesome. That's, that's the kind awesome. of player he is. That, that's, that's why I hope you get in the film room with Carson Watch. I already point. have the play earmarked. That's ready yeah, to go. So to, when we, when we do little... it, it'll be there. All right, so moving ahead, the Eagles didn't have the third-round pick, so we go to the fourth round, 138th overall. And the Eagles, speaking of people, Philly people are going to like, how about a Philly native? That's Someone right. who on – February 4th, 2018, was celebrating much like how you and I were when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, and that's Sharif Miller. Yep. Defensive end of Penn State. Someone else who, like Miles Sanders, will never leave uh, the state of Pennsylvania. This is someone who started his prep career, you know, Frankfurt, transferred to George Washington as a senior to get his grades up to make sure he was going to be academically, academically eligible, went through some terrible tragic hardships his brother was was murdered uh late in his senior year he contemplated not going to penn state uh but he goes to penn state and you know thrives becomes uh one of the team leaders on that defense and uh someone who's hasn't reached his ceiling yet and gets to come to philadelphia and i i just love how excited he is that he gets to you know go from the stands to the field uh so to speak i think it was the first Philly native to be drafted by the Eagles since, I believe, Bruce Perry in 2005. Okay. Maryland, yeah. 2004, 2005. I believe it was 2000. It was in that that, t- that time frame there. Nice. So, um, But phenomenal story. Seems to be a tremendous kid. And James Franklin, the Penn State head coach, had nothing but great things to say about him when you did the interview with Amy Campbell over the weekend. Yeah, and he was, uh, yeah, like I said, had nothing but good things to say about how far he's come, both you know on the field and off the field yep. uh, throughout the course of his career. And I think when you look at Sharif Miller – a very well-rounded player. You know, again, it's kind of like what we talk about with with Miles Sanders a little bit. There's not a glaring hole in Sharif's game where you're like, man, like this is really going to keep him back from playing in the NFL. It's more, all right, where's that one elite trait? But overall, he is a he's a very well-rounded player and a guy that's good. he's going to play in the NFL. He, he's going to stick. I mean, de- defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz at the uh, local pro day a couple weeks ago told Sharif Miller, "You're the type of guy we need. Yeah, we need you on this team." So. Uh, kudos to Howie Roseman and getting the job done there. So Sharif Miller, the pick there, 138th overall. Now we go to the fifth round. The Eagles had the 163rd selection. Okay. okay? So they picked up a seventh round pick from New England to move back four spots. They move back four spots to 167, and they take a quarterback. Not a surprise no. because of the way 
how Howie, Doug Pierce have said all offseason that they need to fortify that quarterback room. They need to get back into the habit of drafting a quarterback every year if possible. And with the current situation with Nate Sudfeld playing on the one-year tender, they really need to make sure they get someone in the pipeline and they get Clayton Thorson from Northwestern. Who just, like if you had asked me two weeks ago, like, all right, who who are a couple guys that make sense for the Eagles? Clayton Thorson would have been at or near the top of the list of guys that make sense for the Eagles in terms of where he's at from a developmental standpoint, what he's like off the field, his skill set, the scheme he came from. Just made a, it made it makes so much sense, and so when you look at Clayton Thorson, uh, it's funny. Amy and I talked to him draft weekend. He gets on the phone and he's at, he answers like the first two questions, and I look at her and I'm like, he and I write down a note. I'm like, he he sounds just like Carson. I was waiting for you to go here. That's why I thought you were going. He at sounds first. just like him. Like everything he was like the delivery was uncanny, but then everything he said like. He's going to fit in perfect with Carson and Nate Sudfeld. And in that room, they're going to, it's the right in stride. It's a perfect fit. Dual threat quarterback, highly recruited. His father, Chad, had a cup of coffee, a, a training camp stint with the Eagles uh, back in 1991, the year of the gangrene defense. Dad was a linebacker, played his college ball at Wheaton. Uh, a couple of brothers who played at Wheaton as I think well. He, play, he ended up playing for the Giants for a little bit too, right? He was on injured reserve, I believe, for the Giants. Okay. I don't know if he ever played in a regular Got season it. game, but he was on the Giants, I think, for a full season, and he was also uh, in a camp with the Colts Interesting. at one point as well. So, uh, And as you saw from the uh, draft party he had at his house with his family, he's got some uh, good movement skills in the pocket, being able to evade his older brother to uh, – Give out hugs to, I believe it was his wife in the, uh, in and, the then video his, and then his mom after that. Then the mom after that, yeah. yes. So well done. <laughs> it was very well done. You almost wonder. He joked about it on the conference call, but the way the way it comes across, you're almost like, did you know that you were? Uh, oh, do he knew. Come on, he yeah, you know. know you're doing that to your brother on on national That's television. Great. But you know, Northwestern just doesn't have a tradition of winning. So by his junior, as a four year starter, by his junior year, end of his junior year, he's the winningest quarterback. In Wildcats history, um, over 10,000 passing yards, one of the most prolific uh, quarterbacks in the Big Ten history, the most games started by a quarterback in Big Ten history. He's played in some bowl games. He's won bowl games. Tough. He bowed back from the ACL injury at the end of his junior year to play every game as a senior. Uh, did suffer a high ankle sprain in the bowl game, which kept him from uh, some of the from the senior bowl and some activities in the pre-draft process. Uh, but nonetheless, everything you look for in the quarterback and someone that you get to come in and mold, that's exactly what the Eagles want. Like you said, he's got the physical tools. He's got the mentality. So it's a matter of just getting him in and uh, getting him up to speed with Carson Wentz. At the quarterback it's, uh, to me, it, it made all the sense in the world to bring in a guy like, uh, like Clayton Thorson. Uh, so last but not least, yes, the Eagles had a five-player draft class. Okay, But that pick that they acquired from New England uh, – they also acquired the seventh round pick, the 246 overall selection. They ended up sending that to the Indianapolis Colts to add Hassan Ridgeway, defensive tackle. Uh, he'll be entering his third season, or his fourth season, I fourth believe. Season, fourth yep. season out of the University of Texas. Um, 6'3, 305 pounds. This is someone who, look, you come into a defensive line group that now, just in the last couple of days, has added Tim Jernigan coming back on a one-year deal, and Hassan Ridgeway adding quality, quality veteran depth. I mean, this is – Hassan Ridgeway is only 24 years old. He's already got 30-plus games under his belt in the NFL. You know, you look at this group now. you got Fletch. you got Malik Jackson, okay? Yep. 
Now you got Ridgeway coming to compete with Tim Jernigan, who's got stars experience. Trayvon Hester had a very promising uh, season for the Eagles last year. It's, it's a nice, some nice competition there at defensive tackle. Really, you, now you look at that defensive line group as a whole, but uh, the Eagles fortifying that defensive tackle group. So while he's not technically part of the draft class, I wanted to make sure we gave him a mention here on the podcast. Yeah, he's a guy I'm actually going to read through my scouting report on him in this week's Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Uh, with, I have Greg Cosell coming on the show uh, this week. We'll go through the whole draft class, and I'll read my notes on Ridgeway because he was a guy I liked. I, I don't want to speak for Greg. I'm pretty sure Greg liked him as well okay. coming out of Texas. So um, has been with the Colts. I know he's battled through some injuries, I believe, um, You know, and they've had to change in defensive schemes yeah. and things like that. But Ridgeway's guy, I was very intrigued by when he was coming out of Texas. Athletic kid, uh, was scheme versatile, I thought. So I'm uh, excited to reveal my notes on him when he was coming out of school. All right, so that's our draft buzz. A look at the Eagles 2009 draft class. Now it's time to bring in the insider himself, Tony Pauline from DraftAnalyst.com, who will be our Mr. Relevant. It's time for Mr. Relevant. In case you didn't believe it already, the best draft analyst, the best draft insider in the business, none other than Tony Pauline, at Tony Pauline on Twitter, draftanalyst.com, had an outstanding, outstanding weekend where his months and months of work on the Journey to Draft podcast and, of course, on his Twitter feed and draftanalyst.com was verified over the weekend. Tony, uh, welcome aboard. You got to be feeling pretty good. Uh, I, I, probably not as good as if I as- – Let's start again, Tony. Spit it out. You can tell I'm kind of t- still kind of tired. Not as good if, as if I were a Philadelphia <laughs> Eagles fan because I think they did a spectacular job. But, uh, yeah, you know, people tend to remember the misses. There were a couple of hits this time around. Well, yeah. let's get into, let's get into your, the, your thoughts on the Eagles draft class. Just big picture overall. What did you think, uh, you know, five players and more quality than quantity this time around, taking advantage of some good value there, especially uh, in the first two days of the draft. Your thoughts just overall on what the Eagles did this weekend. I thought they had a monster draft. I, I thought they filled immediate needs with terrific players. Uh, you know, we talked about the draft. We talked before the draft on how the Eagles and Howie Roseman like like to work the draft. Last year it was trading down and getting their guy in Dallas Goddard. This year it's trading up to get a left tackle, a guy who I think is going to be a stalwart there for the next decade, and Andre Dillard. You know, I, I think all of their selections will end up on if they're not on the active roster they'll make the practice squad somehow. So I, I saw value, and I saw potential in each and every one of their selections. Yeah, I know, Tony, Andre Diller was a guy that you had kind of earmarked as a potential target for the Jets had they traded down a little bit further in the top ten from their number three selection. Obviously, they stayed put uh, at number three, but Diller was a guy that you expected to go much earlier than he did at 22. Absolutely, and I've said that I think he's going to be the best tackle, the best offensive lineman to come out of this draft. He was the purest left tackle. You know, why he fell, I guess there were teams, you look at Green Bay, they didn't need a left tackle. You look at Cincinnati, who took Jonah Williams, they're going to place him at right tackle. Uh, I guess the need there just, uh, the need wasn't as great for teams who were selecting in the top 20. Surprising when you consider how early the offensive tackles went in the 2018 draft. Uh, Jets were not able to trade down, so we never got to see if that scenario played out. I thought the Buffalo Bills was another place he could land, but when Ed Oliver fell to the Buffalo Bills at nine, you know that was a no-brainer for them. Uh, but listen, 
you know, in the end, it ended up uh, to be spoils for the Philadelphia Eagles, you know, making that bold move because I think they made that selection. They figured he wasn't getting past the Houston Texans, and they had to jump ahead of the Houston Texans to make sure that they could uh, secure Dillard. In the second round, Tony, the first of their two second-round picks, they took the running back out of Penn State, Miles Sanders, Harry Roseman, and you know, getting Deuce Daly, that, that three-down feature back, uh, obviously backed up Saquon Barkley, was a full-time starter in 2018, had an outstanding season for the Nittany Lions. Your thoughts on them taking Miles Sanders to be the second running back off the board in this draft class? value. I think uh, when you look at the top two guys on their depth chart, Jordan Howard and Corey Clement, what Miles Sanders brings is the ability to turn the perimeter, the ability to easily get outside tackle. A guy who doesn't have a lot of mileage on him, solid pass catcher of the backfield, still needs to polish some of his game, you know, because he was only one-year start, as you say, taking over for Saquon Barkley. You know, and I know a guy that a lot of Eagles fans, as we talked about on this podcast, was hoping was going to be there in round two. We really didn't know how the running backs were going to fall because running back boards were all over the, all over the place from team to team. So I, I thought in the end it was a terrific selection for the Eagles. Well, Tony, let's talk about their second second-round pick, and that's J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. This was a guy that the week of the draft during our uh, official preview of the draft, you went out of your way to make sure that you said J.J. Arcega-Whiteside is going to be a second-round pick. He needs to be in that discussion with all these other big receivers uh, that we had talked about, you know, the uh, the Miles Boykins and the Hakeem Butlers and the Akeel Harris and A.J. Browns. You wanted to make sure, you know what, don't forget about J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. What was it about him that you kind of knew he was going to go early in this draft? Couple things, you know, he's he's a bigger pass catcher, which teams like. He's a sure-handed pass catcher, which everyone likes. He's a terrific, uh, terrific red zone threat. But I think people had questions about his speed and his uh, route running ability. He ran a four-five-one during his pro day workout. He was running terrific routes, and I was told right from his pro day workout that he had sealed himself. As a, sec- as a second-round selection. Uh, I was a little bit down on Hakeem Butler. He ended up falling into the fourth round. Yep. I was not as high as uh, McCall Hardman as others, although he did go in the second round. We talked uh, throughout the process. I thought that the Eagles were going to add speed to their roster. What they got in, in our secret white side is they, they didn't get so much speed, but they got a bigger body receiver with very short hands, a guy that has shown consistent development in his game. He was better in 2018 than he was in 2017, as was Andre Dillard. And that's something that you want to see. You want to see players that you know, are coming into the league or coming into the draft on the upswing. That's exactly what our Seagull Whiteside uh, was. I thought it was another terrific pick. Uh, I'm glad to see, you know, that basically my prediction was proven right, that he sealed himself as a second-round selection. Uh, I think he's a guy that's going to help out as a rookie. <clears throat> He'll produce as a rookie as uh, maybe the uh, fourth receiver. I think he could eventually develop into the team's number two wideout, depending on what happens with Alshon Jeffrey two or three years down the road, or, or even uh, Deshaun Jackson, uh, who, who probably does not, you know, he's there for the short term. Uh, before we go into the next pick, the fourth-round selection of Sharif Miller, did you have any indication that the Eagles were interested in our Sega Whiteside, knowing that he was going to go in the second round? Not really. I think a lot of people thought he he would be off the board before the Eagles selected. That turned out not to be true. So I was not. I didn't get any heads up that the the Eagles were uh, really interested. And again. 
you know, what I was hearing all along is that the Eagles were looking to increase team speed, but I think when R.C. Whiteside just fell to them, they looked at his size-speed combination, not the fastest guy, but fast enough for a guy that's 225 pounds, with the hands, with the timing, with, with all the smarts and everything else, and they said, you know, this is our guy. All right, so speaking of Sharif Miller, the team's pick in the fourth round, 138th overall, the defensive end out of Penn State, and he gets to stay, stay home, a Philly native who graduated from George Washington High School, started his prep career at Frankfurt. Uh, your thoughts on Sharif Miller going to the Eagles there in the fourth round? And this is a guy that's got tremendous upside. He comes off a, ter- uh, a terrific uh, campaign in 2018, an outstanding edge rusher, a guy who needs to improve his uh, ability to stop, stop the run, <clears throat> but he's got great measurables. He's very fast up the field. You know, he can bend off the edge. You look at that, uh, you, you look at the Eagles' uh, depth chart. You know, they got, they re signed Brandon Graham. They brought Vinnie Curry back in. You still got Chris Long there. There's a lot of age at the defensive end spot. I think Sharif Miller's a guy who could make the roster as an eighth uh, defensive lineman. Maybe uh, they try and sneak him on the practice squad. I know they were not really all that impressed with the uh, development of Josh Sweat last year. So he's someone who could replace Josh Sweat. But, I, I, again, I, I think it's a guy who, you know, is more of a situational pass rusher as a rookie when he's on the active roster. Uh, but you're looking at Sharif Miller as someone you hope to develop two or three years down the road. Well, Tony, let's talk about their last selection in this draft, and that's Clayton Thorson, the quarterback from Northwestern. What kind of buzz had you heard about him in the pre-draft process, and uh, what were your thoughts on that selection as a guy to come in and just add depth to that quarterback room? You know, I, I know there was a lot out there in the press or in the media about, you know, Thorson moving up draft boards, could go into the, move into the second day, be the fourth or fifth quarterback off the board. I never heard that from my sources. You know, what I heard about uh, Clayton Thorson was pretty consistent. He's a big guy with a lot of physical skills who had injuries at Northwestern and had a very inconsistent game. You watch Clayton Thorson as a sophomore, you figure, hey, this is going to be the next big-time quarterback prospect or this will be a big-time quarterback prospect. Never really showed improvement the, the uh, following two years. Did have the injuries, but I think even when he was on the field, he was a little bit streaky. You look at the, uh, the, the uh, Eagles' depth chart at quarterback, obviously Carson Wentz is at the top. A lot of people like Nate Sudfeld. So, you know, if, if Thorson shows a lot of good things in camp, I wouldn't, and this is complete speculation on my part, uh, although this has been talked about in the past, you know, it wouldn't be beyond the uh, Eagles to maybe trade Sudfeld for uh, a couple of extra draft picks in the future or, or conditional draft picks. Thorson has all the physical skills. It's just a matter of him putting it together and him being coached correctly. And you know what? He's in the right system right now because we know one thing about Doug Peterson. He knows how to coach quarterbacks. So I think this was a real good selection for the Eagles. He's a guy who I think they could develop as a backup quarterback. You look at the history of the New England Patriots. Why do I say the Patriots? They've uh, selected quarterbacks, you know, in the mid and late rounds. They developed them, and because they weren't going to be starters, they tr- they uh, traded them away and brought in earlier selections. It could be one of those situations with the Eagles, you know, in the short term with Nate Sudfeld, in the long term with Clayton Thorson. Well, Tony, take us through the your biggest surprises here in, in this draft weekend. I mean, there were guys that you know went a little bit earlier than we expected. There were guys that fell. Uh, any big surprises overall? Your big takeaways from the the three days of the 2019 draft? Well, I, I think if you look at the uh, the first round, uh, as is the case usually, there were some uh, 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 surprises late in round one. 
I know Celeb Gary was getting first-round buzz. I really was not one who bought into it, but the Atlanta Falcons grabbed them with the 31st selection. L.J. Collier going 29 to Seattle. I had heard after his pro day that L.J. Collier was getting uh, uh, first-round talk. I just refused to believe it. I I, I just didn't see with L.J. Collier. I mean, he's a good player, but I think he's physically tapped out. Uh, He ended up going in round one. Uh, Seattle Seahawks have consistently surprised uh, with some of their picks. They're not afraid to to throw a surprise in there. I I think that was one of them. Byron Murphy uh, coming off the board at the top of round one, uh, top of round two. I thought he was more of a uh, a first round type of guy. I, I think Greedy Williams falling in the middle part of round two uh, was a bit of a, a bit of a shocker. Uh, Greedy Williams was falling, and there were some questions about why he didn't go on uh, official visits, official team visits. There were questions about uh, some potential medical red flags. I think the Cleveland Browns really got themselves a bargain in, in the middle of round two with Greedy Williams. All right, so going back to surprise here, especially in the first round, you had been you know, leading the train that Cleveland Farrell was an underrated prospect. You actually thought he was going to be underdrafted in this class, and you have a, and it turns out he goes number four overall to the Oakland Raiders. Uh, just one of the main things that you were on top of, again, you, ha- you were the first to have the Kyler Murray news, saying there was a done deal back at the Combine, and then Jawan Taylor falling out of the first round. You hinted that he was going to potentially fall because of a medical red flag, and it turned out to be a, a knee situation there. Just take us through from the insider standpoint uh, of what it was like over the weekend, seeing the stories that you've been working on for months actually come to fruition. You know, start off with Kyler Murray and the tweet that I put out that Cliff Kingsbury uh, was telling everybody at the Combine that it was a done deal that Kyler Murray would be the first selection by the Arizona Cardinals. I think there was more mystery there than there needed to be. If you watch the Arizona Cardinals' war room on draft day, I mean, they basically were sitting around twiddling their thumbs. They looked very stone-faced. They weren't working the uh, phones. They weren't having a lot of conversations. I think even Rich Eisner, if you watch the NFL Network, was kind of making jokes about, you know, is that a live shot or is that an actual picture because there was no movement there. Which leads me to, you know, what I had said in the week before the draft that, even if the Arizona Cardinals had made their choice, the NFL, the league, was going to make sure that they keep it under wraps because they did not want it out beforehand. And they may have had conversations about the potentially trading down. They may have talked about Nick Bosa. They may have talked about the potentially drafting Quentin Williams. But I think all along with Kyler Murray. And I think the Kyler Murray selection actually started with the Cliff Kingsbury hire. Whether that works out for them, you know, we'll have to, that remains to be seen. But... You know, the Murray pick is basically the – he's the guy that fits the, uh, the Cliff Kingsbury offense. Jawan Taylor, I was told weeks before the draft that Jawan Taylor was uh, a medical reject on some boards, not only because of the knee, but because of the weight fluctuations he, he suffered uh, or he struggled with at Florida, which also may have brought on some back concerns. It's kind of ironic that the Jacksonville Jaguars, a lot of people uh, who a lot of people thought would take Jawan Taylor with that seventh pick, take him in the, in the uh, second round because just a few years ago that uh, everyone thought that the Jacksonville Jaguars were going to take Miles Jack, the linebacker at UCLA, early in the first round. He slipped because of uh, knee issues with his knee. The Jacksonville Jaguars scooped him up in round two. That's worked out. I'm sure it's the same situation. They're hoping with the same situation with Juwan Taylor. Torrey Cleveland Farrell, listen, 
Uh, if anything, anything else, anything more, I was, I was just gratified that he went that early. It remains to be seen. I had Farrell mocked to the New York Jets at one point in time uh, with the third pick of the draft. I thought that people were just overlooking, overlooking his game throughout the whole process. There were manufacturing holes that weren't there. He played on a very talented line at Clemson with Christian Wilkins, with Dexter Lawrence, but he was one of the most consistent performers. Came to play week in and week out. He was a terror out on the edge. You watch that national title game. I didn't have any inside information that Cleveland Farrell was going to go number four other than what I saw with my eyes of the past three years and watch this guy be a terror off the edge as well as make the ability, uh, as well as possessing the ability to make plays in space. You saw what he did against Jonah Williams in the national title game. I think the sky's the limit. Uh, I'm just glad that uh, there were other people in the league who were of the same mind as I was. And along that same line, Tony, we actually got a question on Twitter from a, from a follower, from a listener. Uh, Strauss of Payne on Twitter. Now that the draft is over, what rumors did Tony hear that proved to be true? And which were a smoke screen? A smoke screen. Any teams that went in a totally ex- unexpected route? So you talked about some of the things that you had heard that obviously went right. Were there a couple that you had heard that went the other way that you want to share with us? The only thing that I think I really missed on was uh, the Cincinnati Bengals trading John Ross, mm. uh, which was, I believe, uh, that uh, that was before the, uh, the, combine. the combine. But I wasn't yeah. the only one who had that story because literally minutes after I, I tweeted that out and followed up with a story, I believe Ian Rappaport of NFL.com had said the same thing. So I, I think that was really, I mean, there were a few minor things with the New York Jets. There's one major thing that's still out there. We'll, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, but I think really the only one that I was a swing and a miss uh, was the Cincinnati Bengals uh, potentially or, or looking to move John Ross before the draft. So speaking of New York, let's go to the other New York team, the New York football Giants, and kind of recap the NFC East and starting with the Giants who started their draft with Daniel Jones, the Duke quarterback, going number six overall. What did you think of their draft class as a whole? I, I thought they did a solid job. <laughs> I'm in the belly of the beast here in New York, and if you listen to sports talk radio, I mean, there are New York Giant fans that are ready to jump out the window <laughs> over this pick. I think they've got to calm down a little bit. I like Daniel Jones as a prospect. If you want to argue that he was selected maybe six or seven picks too early, okay, I can understand that. But he's a terrific quarterback prospect, and I have no doubt that he'll be able to lead the, uh, lead the team in the future. Dexter Lawrence, I thought, was also a solid pick. We had talked on this uh, podcast, uh, I mentioned with Fran, that he was moving up faster than any other uh, defensive lineman. They got him with the 17th selection. He just needs to play to his uh, level of ability uh, on an every-down basis. I'm not a fan of DeAndre Baker, but I do think it's a good fit for the Giants system. O'Shane Zimenez, guy, another guy I've talked about with Fran, he's a guy that when he's playing at full speed and he puts the pedal to the metal, he's someone who gets a lot of uh, pressure up the field, which is what the Giants needed. I, you know, I, I thought they got some good players later on, Darius Slayton from Auburn, who, can, uh, who, who has a lot of uh, upside potential. Even uh, Chris Slayton, their seventh-round pick, Unfortunately, I think what's going to happen with this draft is it's all going to rely on how Daniel Jones does. That's what people are going to be looking at. And we may not even see Daniel Jones too much uh, in 2019. But I thought overall it was a solid job by the Giants. This is the one thing I'll say about the Giants. And I've said this on the podcast previously. If they believe that a quarterback is their guy, if they think that he's the heir apparent to Eli Manning, don't mess around. Yep. Just take him at number six. It, it, in due time, like you said, Tony, in due time, 
if Daniel Jones proves to be the right pick, the right quarterback for the Giants, it won't matter where he went in the draft whatsoever. It goes back to Carson Wentz and all the capital the Eagles utilized to get from 13 to 2. If you hit on the franchise quarterback, it doesn't matter. Yeah, and I think ultimately it's it's similar to another NFC East team and another team that had multiple first round picks. You look at the team down in Washington, Tony, and you know they they get Dwayne Haskins uh, staying put in the in round one. They trade back up into the first round for Montez Sweat, and they drafted a couple other nice players day two, day three. Take us through what Washington did over draft weekend and what your thoughts were on their overall haul. I think after the Eagles, this is probably the best draft in the NFC East. Uh, you know, the, 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 your, your follower asked before where I was wrong. I guess I was also wrong about Josh, Rowe, Josh Rosen ending mm. up with the Redskins. I, I think there were definitely talks there, and I know that the Redskins were interested. I don't know if this had anything to do with the reports that Daniel, uh, uh, Daniel Snyder was taking over the war room. Regardless, in the end, I think the uh, Redskins had a terrific draft. Dwayne Haskins was my highest-rated quarterback. I think he's got great upside. I think he's in a good situation there with a good coach who can develop his skills. He may need a little bit of time. There may be some bumps in the road, but I think that's a great system for him to play in. I think trading up for Montez Sweat was an outstanding move. Obviously, we all know the talk and the rumors that was circulating about Sweat with the heart condition that he's had for a while. Those those rumors were kind of – they took the pedal off the throttle a little bit on draft day where they said it may have been misdiagnosed. fact is, is the Washington Redskins thought enough of Montez Sweat to move back into the bottom part of round one to draft what is a great pass rusher. And really that's been a big need for him. He's got to get a little bit, Sweat's got to get a little bit bigger, got to get it a little bit stronger, improve his play against the uh, defense, but uh, run uh, against the uh, run, but uh, they got a good player there. I think Terry McLaurin in round three was excellent uh, value. I like what they did later in the draft, too, because remember, you know, the draft is not just about the first round, the second round. It's about what you were able to pick up later on. Cole Holcomb in round five, Kelvin Harmon in round six was a great great steal. I think Jimmy Moreland in round seven is going to be an outstanding pick as a dimeback special teams player. So I think overall I was really impressed with what the Redskins did. All right, last and least, the Dallas Cowboys, who did not have a first-round pick because of the Amari Cooper trade. So they kicked things off in the second round with Tristan Hill, who should fit that defensive scheme very well. And it's someone that I had predicted the week before uh, the Cowboys, not only that the Cowboys could take, but I thought he was going to be drafted much earlier than people were initially prognosticating. Most people had him as a fourth-rounder. I had him as a third-rounder. He goes in the second round. As you said, I knew that going in, leading into the draft that Rod, Mar- Rod Marinelli absolutely loved him. As you said, it's a, he's a great fit for that system. I thought Connor McGovern in round three was, an out, uh, with a, was another solid pick by them, a guy who can play center or guard, add some depth, and a future starter. Tony Pollard, you know, a rotational back that you could also use as a situational player. I, I think Dallas, I, I don't think they got any stars. But I think they've got a lot of good depth players. Jalen Jelks in the seventh round, the, the uh, edge rusher from Oregon. Mike Weber, the running back from Ohio State, I thought was great value. Joe Jackson, uh, the defensive end in the fifth round, who, who will compete to make a roster spot. And, and Michael Jackson uh, of Miami of Florida, also in the fifth round, a guy you're looking at as a dime back special teams player. I think what they did was they rounded out their roster. You're primarily looking at uh, you know, number twos and number threes on the depth chart here. All right, last but not least, and I'll give this actually not just to you, Tony, but to Fran as well, Ooh. if you want to chime in here. Five names. Let's let's look ahead. The 2020 mocks are already out there, Tony. Who are five names to keep on the radar for the upcoming 
college football season, and then eventually the NFL draft? I'm going to go off the beaten path because I can sit here and talk about Justin Herbert, the quarterback from Oregon, Tua Tagliavoa, the quarterback from Alabama, Jake Fromm, the quarterback from Georgia, Derek Brown, a guy who I like a lot, the defensive lineman from Auburn. I'm going to go with some names that people aren't talking about that they should pay attention to. I'm going to start with Grant Delpit, the safety from LSU, who, if he was eligible for this year's draft, probably would have been the first uh, safety selected off the board somewhere in the middle of round one. A quarterback that no one is paying attention to, but mark my words, uh, you know, when, we, when Fran and I are talking about the uh, 2020 draft six months from now, he will be on the, uh, on the, li- on the uh, tongue of everybody out there. Jordan Love from Utah State. Excellent size, big-time arm, really a good athlete who just has to continue to develop into being a passer. Uh, Tyler Biadaz, uh, the center from Wisconsin, who's probably the top offensive lineman uh, from the Badgers, considered entering this year's draft, had a hip issue, decided to go back, missed the spring game because he had his hip repaired. If he's healthy and he has the year that I think he's going to have, will probably be the first center selected in next year's draft, somewhere in the middle of round one, probably a little bit higher or potentially a little bit higher than what Garrett Bradbury was selected this year. Cole Cabral, another center guard type of prospect from Arizona State, who I think fits into the late part of round one. And Colton McKivitz of West Virginia. You know, people were talking about Yadney Kajust as a potential mid-second round choice. At one point in time, he was getting first-round mention. Fell into what I believe was the fourth round uh, because of the injury. Uh, really wasn't making good decisions in the lead-up to the draft. I think Colton McKivitz was the, by far and away the better offensive lineman from West Virginia, and I think he's the guy that can fit into the late round, late part of round one next uh, next April. All right. How about you, Fran? So I didn't know you were going to ask me this. So I, I'm just I'm going off the top of my head here. Uh, the guy who I would think will be my number one senior entering the year, and I, I find it hard to – I'm trying to think if there's anybody else off the top of my head, but the guy that I would think will be my number one senior will be Raquan Davis, the defensive lineman from Alabama, who I just think is phenomenal. Uh, I remember t- I talked with Cody Ford at the Combine, asked him, who's the best player you went up against? He said, Raquan Davis, going back to Alabama. And I said, better than Quinn? And he was like – Better than Quinnen. Like, Raekwon, Raekwon is a freak show. Um, so I'm going to go Raekwon Davis. Uh, Tony mentioned Derek Brown, the defensive tackle from Auburn. Haven't done him yet, but a lot of players at the Combine uh, talked very, very highly of him in the SEC. Um, Zach Moss, the running back from Utah, is going to be the number one senior running back, I would think, entering the season. A name to keep an eye on. And then uh, one more guy, two guys with last names that I have a little bit of trouble with at this point. Uh, Albert O, the tight end from Mizzou. Uh, I want to say it's Obu Quantum, I knew it back in the fall. Now it's just, it's been six six months since I've said it, so I'll have to go back and relearn it. And then the other guy is the the pass rusher from Penn State, um, who has got a, he's got a, another long name. It's a hyphenated last this name. This guy, uh, everybody that I've talked to from the Big Ten, uh, players wise at the combine, whether they were teammates or opponents, all raved about this kid. So I, I'm excited to go and study that kid. He would be another name I would keep an eye on for 2020. They into reaction to that, Tony? I think the uh, the pass rusher he's talking about from Penn State is uh, Yator Gross Matos. Yes, yes. That's what I'm trying to do uh, the name uh, there. Try to buy some time. And, and, and Albert Oberquan, I mean, he's one of those guys. I'm, I'm well known for butchering names, even yes. first yes, name you are. like Dan. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I butcher. Uh, but you know, I, I go to YouTube to find out the uh, the correct. Pronunci- don't don't YouTube. Just text me. Just text me. I'll text you the pronunciation. <laughs> there you go. Um, you know, I, I would agree with that. The, the interesting thing is he had. 
had an injury, yes. and you know he's a really smart kid who uh, who uh, prioritizes uh, academics. He wants to be a doctor, so it'll mm. be interesting. Uh, you know, on the field, he's outstanding, but yeah. it'll be interesting to see what happens with him moving forward. Tony, congratulations! Phenomenal work this draft season. So always a pleasure working with you. And I absolutely enjoy it. Good luck to the Eagles. They did a, another knockout job on draft weekend. Uh, Roseman's got that ship, uh, always had that ship pointed in the right direction. I'm sure uh, we'll see the fruits of the fruits of the labors of the scouting department and Howie Roseman come, uh, come September for the Eagles. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. <sighs> Getting a little uh, misty out here. The uh, the last draft cutting mailbag. Cutting onions in here. Yeah, so cutting the onions, or, or you know, someone's got some cute puppy videos or something up there. Just something to bring a little, a little. Te- Actually, you know, I will kind of go off on a tangent here. It's made me think Uh-oh. of this. There you go. That growing up, big sports fan, played sports. I knew I wasn't going to be pro baseball player, pro football player, what have you. But you, you watch the draft and you say, man, how cool would it be to be that guy? To be Kyler Murray, to be Andre Diller, to be those guys being selected draft weekend. But now, and maybe your perspective will change when Lil Francis comes, I love watching the videos of the guys getting drafted and you see the parents and mm. you see the father sitting there. And I, I honestly get almost every video I see, I get a little missy-eyed because I just could tell the pride that they have in seeing their young son have their moment, to have that platform and to watch all the hard work and all the years of, you know, maybe sacrificing time with friends and, you know, things of that nature to fulfill this dream to get to this platform. That it's 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 interesting how it's changed from my perspective of watching mm-hmm. where it's like now you're so happy seeing the parents of these players because you understand or you have a sense of what it must be like to be in their shoes to watch their child. Yeah. You know, be able to have this wonderful moment. Yeah, I mean, it's a, a culmination of hours and hours and hours and hours of work and sacrifice. So uh, it's a huge weekend for everybody, and, and I agree. It's a uh, it's a feeling I'm looking forward to having. So, draft mailbag. Let's kick things off here with better him than me. Is it a Twitter question? No, here? this is uh, Apple Podcast. Apple Podcast, of course. Special shout out to all of you who have commented, rated, wherever iTunes, Stitcher, what have you wherever you listen to our podcast. Okay, Fran and Chris, you both did an amazing job breaking down the prospects all year, which helped me stay informed all draft weekend. With the Eagles drafting, I like how uh, JJAW, J-Jaw, however you J-Jaw, want to say yep. Yeah, J-Jaw is the, in the second round. How often will the Eagles go with the power forward? I like this, the power forward lineup of Alshon, Dallas Goddard, Zach Ertz, and J-Jaw when they get into the red zone, I would suggest that positional grouping should be called Redwood. I look forward to the nightmares it will give D coordinators every week. Yeah, so we talked about it earlier in the show, obviously, what, what, how he can impact this receiving core and the different things that they can do with him. And, you know, I think about this 12 personnel set and what that can, we talked about it on draft weekend, you know, where, uh, you know, you've got the two big receivers with the two tight ends. And now you, as a defense, you have to figure out how you're going to match up. And it was something I talked about with Greg Cosell this week on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast is how are teams going to match up when they decide to go big? Uh, look, we don't know if J.J. Arcega-Whiteside is going to be ready to make that immediate impact, you know, week one, week two, week three. 
it takes time for rookies uh, to be able to kind of get uh, indoctrinated into the league and into the system. But man, like the upside there to be able to see what you can have in year one, 2019, this fall with those two guys playing opposite each other. Oh, and by the way, being able to throw in a speed guy like Deshaun Jackson, be able to throw in those versatile weapons like a Miles Sanders. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch this Eagles offense. Oh, I'm almost thinking, like, could you, like, an empty set involve Deshaun into as well? Just yeah, so many different things, so many different options for, for Micro and company to unveil there. So certainly uh, I, I do like the, the power forward lineup aspect. I like Redwood. Those. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. in on that. You're in on that? Yeah, right. that's pretty good. We should I take like it up to the coaches and uh, see yeah. that see we'll that, take that stick. Down the hall. So. All right, next one, another Apple Podcast question. Write him, good friend there. I love how the coaching staff has been using bigger backs, going back to LeGarrette Blount, Josh Adams, now Jordan Howard. But I was wondering, is this more Deuce Staley putting his input into Doug Peterson on the type of player he looks for, or is this more Peterson telling Howie Roseman his type of running back? Uh, by the way, my tag, this is actually interesting, my tag is write him as a play on writer or write her, male writer. It's a male writer. Male writer. There you go. That's good. It's good background uh, info. I like that. It's an origin story for write him. Um, I think it's it's – I mean, we obviously don't know, but it's a mix of both. I mean, the offense – look, the, the coaching staff works hand-in-hand hand with the personnel staff to kind of say, like, look, this is what we want. This is what we need in order to make our offense or make our defense go. Howie Roseman has talked about this in the past, that it doesn't make sense for the personnel staff to be on a different page from the coaching staff because then everybody's frustrated. The, the, the scouts are delivering players that the coaches don't want. The coaches aren't playing – aren't playing players that the, the the scouts deliver. No one's happy. So it makes sense for everybody just to be on the same page. Now, we don't know if this is, is it, you know, what Doug Peterson looks for? Is it what Deuce looks for? It's what, it's what the whole offensive staff looks for. And they say, look, this is what works for us in our system. So that's why ultimately uh, you're going to see a wide variety of skill sets could use because they find ways to be able to leverage all these guys and all their different skill sets. I, what I love about the front office as it's set up today is that you have the synergy of Doug Peterson and the coaching staff being established, Howard Roseman, Joe Douglas, and the personnel side established, that they've had a couple of years now, a few drafts under their belts together, so that they have a sense of knowing what each wants, yep. what each are looking for, and what's going to maximize, and that they are, like you said, in lockstep and on the same page. Uh, I'm sure you heard about this, the prank that they played on Deuce Stanley. Oh, it was phenomenal. So... Basically, what happened on Friday, Eagles are making the pick at 53. They called Deuce Staley in, and they told him that it was a different running back that was being selected. And Miles Sanders obviously was on the board. He was the one that, as Howard Roseman said over draft weekend, the entire front office staff, everyone loved from yep. analytics, football ops, coaches, they, they wanted Miles Sanders. And so they told Deuce, we're going with a different running back. And Deuce is like, are we a disagreement? We thought Miles was a guy. He's got him on the board. <laughs> like they have, they have him completely freaking out, and that they he didn't know it was Miles Sanders <laughs> until they gave him the phone. I was like, all right, now now uh, Deuce Daly wants to talk to you, Miles. Here's the phone, and it's like Deuce gets to realize that oh, they did pick Miles Sanders. So a so Amy and I asked Miles Sanders about it if he was aware oh, of the joke. Oh, really? Okay. And Miles said, yeah, like he told me on the phone that they told they, they you know they told him oh, they told him it was somebody else when he gave him the phone. Like it was. It was good that everybody was in on it at the end. That's really, really, really good. So, uh, so a little, little insight there, uh, Ryan. But thanks for the questions all season long. Uh, next one, okay. So we're going now to Twitter at Sean Wolford. 
with the importance of offensive line play and the throw-first offensive concepts, how come the consensus best pass protector fell all the way until the 20s were the defensive players that good? Well, I mean, we talked about it all through the, the spring that somebody was going to fall. Right, and that's how it is every single year. Somebody's going to fall through the cracks. A guy that maybe we thought was going to go top five falls outside the top five. Someone that's supposed to go top ten is going to fall outside the top ten because there are surprises every single year, Correct. and there are runs on players. So, yeah, a bunch of defensive players went. We saw multiple quarterbacks go. You know, we saw, and that that helped push guys like Dillard down the board. And so, uh, ultimately, look, I mean, he was the the second offensive lineman to get to go off, or no, he was the the third. Third, Jonah lineman. Williams. Yeah, went. Jo- Jonah Williams, Garrett Bradbury. Correct. Uh, and then and then Andre. Dillard. So, yeah, I mean, Jonah Williams was not is not seen as the best pure pass protector, and Garrett Bradbury plays center, and they needed they wanted an upgraded center in Minnesota, uh, and that allowed him to push down the board. I mean, that's that's how these things go sometimes, and it's it's crazy how it works out. Um, it's the same reason why you know the Eagles were able to get a Fletcher Cox at number twelve, where going in. At, Fletcher Cox was a consensus top ten pick. It was like, oh, you know, they're they're going to have to trade up to eight, they're going to have to trade up to nine to be able to get Fletcher Cox. He falls because and I don't remember exactly the I scenario was now. To go back. Um, but a couple guys go in the top ten that maybe we weren't necessarily thinking we're going to go, and now all of a sudden, you know, you have a, a future uh, All Pro fall right into your lap. Exactly, and there was there were the questions about well, he played in a in the air raid offense, you know, hasn't run blocked as much, and in the phenomenal film breakdown segment you did with with Jeff Statland, Coach Statland's quite fine with what he saw in the film. And uh, I'll be speaking <laughs> next week with uh, with Mike Leach, his former head coach, and we're, we're going to dive into that topic a little That's bit. That's going to be really, really good there. So t- talk about the, the dynamic personalities go from Jeff Statlin to Mike Leach, though. Oh. That's, uh, I'm very, it'll be on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, that I full can't interview. Wait. It's going to be very good. Can't wait. Next question, at McGill underscore S, post-draft, the offensive line's odds of being a top unit this season. They've added great talent in Dillard. But Brooks won't return day one. Kelsey was more banged up last season than anyone knew. And they've got an intriguing project in Jordan Mailata. How do you see all of this planning out? So I think the first part is you look at the offensive line's odds of being a top unit. Certainly health is going to be It's big with every, big every offensive that's, line. That's, yep. what, that's what it's going to come down. It's going to be So from a talent standpoint – and of course, how when does Brand Brooks come back? He could be ready for the start yeah, of the season. Yeah, we don't know that he's not. We don't. Be ready. We don't know at this point. If but assuming they say healthy, you have what four All Pros along the offensive line, and or there's a three. I'm trying to think. It's Lane Johnson's been an All Pro. I don't know if Brooks has been an All Pro. Kelsey's definitely been an All Pro, and of course, Peters has been an All Pro. Yeah. Brand Brooks has been in the Pro Bowl, so you have four Pro Bowlers yep. there. And then say, say Amalo. The thing with him is. He gets to be focused in one spot, which is something that he has not. But he's been like the swing guy. He's been able to play pretty much every position along the offensive line yep. his first couple of seasons. He can focus now on being a left guard, and he was pretty darn good toward the end of 2018. Yeah, and I think ultimately you're looking always, uh, yeah, you want to be able to bring in talent. And that's why bringing a guy in like Andre Dillard to just be an understudy, just be a sponge, soak up everything you can from the veterans in the room. I love that he. that was one of the big things that he said repeatedly over the course of draft weekend was, you know, yeah, learning from Stout's great, but learning from Lane Johnson, learning from Jason Peters, learning from Brandon Brooks. Those are the things that, you know, where it really kind of comes into fruition and reaching your upside. And when I did my podcast uh, interview with Brandon Brooks a few weeks ago over on Eagle Eye in the Sky, that was one of the big things. He said, you know, when, when a rookie comes in, 
usually know pretty quickly if he's gonna if he's gonna make it or not just by how his interactions are with the, with the veterans. Like, is he willing to learn? Is he willing to put in the work? Is he willing to do what it takes to be great? Uh, if a guy's willing to come in and learn because there's no replication for experience, there's no replacing that. Yeah, like then this guy's gonna have he's gonna be able to take in that information that we are partaking on him. Hopefully, uh, you know, the Dillard's ready to do that. And it seems like he's going to be that guy willing to take that step. This was said on the Move the Sticks podcast by Daniel Jeremiah, and it certainly is worth bringing up here. He called Dillard a luxury pick for the Eagles mm. from the standpoint that going into the draft, the Eagles could line up and play. Yep. That's what we talk about a lot. They could line up and play a game if they had to. And, and Doug Pearson has said that during the offseason. If we had to play a game today, yep. you know, we don't play one until September. But if they had to, they could. Which doesn't mean, by the way, that they don't think they have needs. Of course, they, 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 it's about lining up. You know, it's about saying, like, we can physically line up and play a game tomorrow. It goes to, with the Houston Texans, there are obvious glaring holes. And if you listen to the podcast with Lance Erline, yeah, a couple weeks he, ago. he hit on offensive tackle, that they yep. have to take an offense. They have to go heavy at offensive tackle, which they ended up doing. They took two offensive tackles. And he said they're going to take two corners in the top four picks. And what do they do? He said the second-round pick, they went for Lonnie Johnson, a name that he singled out. Yep. So, obviously, Lance very much in tune with what the Texans do. Yep. but. Howie and the personnel staff, they know what other teams, they have a very good sense. Howie plays the draft very well. And he knew that if we want to get Dillard, we definitely have to get ahead of Houston. That's the big thing. Did you actually read the Peter King embedded piece where he actually spent, I don't know if he was actually ever embedded with a team. He went to a couple different places. I think he went to Arizona. I think he might have gone to Denver, but he went to Oakland. Okay. Okay. Oh, yes, I did see that. It was the very front of the article. Very front, yeah, the very yes, lead of the article, yes, where – Oakland's freaking Oakland, out when we turned yeah. it up. Yep. And John Gruden's yelling at Mike Mayock, <laughs> told you, don't screw up the first round. Don't screw up this first round. Because they thought they were going to get the running back. And then it was Paul Gunther, I believe, in the article, the defensive coordinator, who said, they also leapfrogged Houston. This may be a tackle. And then when the terms of the trade came through, Mayock's like – how he's not giving all this capital up for for a running back, yep. so he he had a better feeling at the time. But some it's, that was pretty funny. I some tense that. moments there. So that's what you get for leaving our preseason broadcast, right. Mayock. All right, uh, a couple other questions to get through at Herbicide L on Twitter. Could Dillard be this year's starter at left guard? Peter stays at left tackle, where you get the best five offensive linemen on the field. Well, the last part's right. They're going to put the five best on the field. The question is, you know, with we don't know how it's going to go this spring and this summer, but with Andre Dillard, you know, anytime you're a rookie coming in, it's a tough transition regardless, no matter what. But when you then say you're going to play a position you've never played before, doesn't mean he can't do it. Correct. But that's a lot to ask a guy to say, yep, day one we're planning on putting you in a position you've never played before in a league you've never played in before, playing in a stuff. Like, that would be a lot. So – can't rule it out. Can't say, oh, it's definitely, I'm not going to sit here on April 29th and say, yep, that's not going to happen. No way that's going to happen. But when you look at it, you say, like, it's probably unlikely that it would happen. All right, next question. At SC Eagles fan one, would like both of your thoughts on Sharif Miller in the fourth, both how he rates for best player available and within the defensive end class. Thanks, as always. I'll, I'll start things off. I'll be honest, I really did not know a ton about Sharif Miller. Going go right. to actual draft weekend. It's really for me after day two and even some of the late day two guys, that's where it starts to be like, okay, I've heard the name, but I couldn't really tell you a ton about him as a player. But from what I've learned 
over the course of the weekend and hearing guys like your interview with James Franklin that you yep. and Amy Campbell did, uh, from hearing from Sharif himself, uh, from hearing the comments that Sharif was saying that the coach were telling you, he's a guy who fits the mold of he's going to bring – He's going to be up-tempo, high-tempo guy, high-energy guy, okay, which when you look at some of the high-character guys they brought in recently, like Derek Barnett fits the bill there. Seems like someone who could set the edge well. Yep. Um, someone who's good flexibility. I, I liked how – what I really like from James Frank, the James Franklin interview it was he doesn't have the one sexy trait that stands out, that you can say he's got elite speed, he's got elite get-off, his hand placement is, is phenomenal. He doesn't have one elite trait. Yep. But he's very good at everything. He is. That's exactly right. And that's kind of how I viewed him coming out was, all right, well, he's probably an early day three pick because he doesn't have that one thing where you say, yeah, like this is this is how he wins. And so to answer the one, the one part of the question, this is about where I saw him going off the board was early day three. And that's where that's where he ended up going um, because he wasn't. He didn't have that one thing, but he was good across the board everywhere else. And that's kind of how I view Sharif Miller. I think that this is a guy that still has room to grow in a lot of areas. Can reach a point where you say that, yeah, like this, this guy can be, you know, a starting defensive end in the NFL. Um, but across the board, you don't say, yeah, man, like he's just really weak in this one area either. And that's one of the things I really like about him. All right, two more questions here. Actually, uh, no, only one more question. Okay, and a note at the end. So the last question comes from at Broad Street Brian. Where would Dallas Goddard have ranked if he were in this year's tight end class? We talked about this a few weeks, probably like a month or two ago. Someone asked the same question. He probably would have been tight end two for me. Um, I think Hawkinson. With, with Hawkinson, I think you looked at and you knew he was a short thing as a blocker. But the way I look at it is Goddard's ceiling was higher too. So I think you have to weigh that. Um, but I would have had him ahead of Noah Fant. I would have had him ahead of Jay Sternberger and, and Irv Smith and those guys. I mean, uh, Goddard was a top – he was a top 20 player for me last year. Because so. he has the athleticism yeah, that, like, okay, the Irv Smith and Noah Fant. He brings that to the table. And yeah. the blocking, quite honestly, I think has been better – but it, but it, that's the thing is back then that was the question. That's the thing. That yes, was the question correct. about him coming out. And the fact is that he was limited in the pre-draft process. You really couldn't get a good gauge, right? Yep. Of how good an athlete Dallas exactly. Goddard was. So that that actually helped the Eagles, where they were like, "Look, right. we go by the tape, and we know how good he's going to be." So yep. uh, the last note that you wanted to add here was just that. Uh, unfortunately, we know a lot. We're getting a lot of questions about the UDFAs. We'll probably announce it as a team when they report for the rookie meeting camp, which is not this weekend, but Mother's Day weekend. Yeah, whenever, whenever it's announced, then we'll talk about it because we'll, they're yeah. not officially Eagles yet. So exactly. once they're officially Eagles, then we can talk about we'll it. So that's going to do it, Fran. That's it. Your journey's over. My journey's over. I, I, oh, I like how you just, uh, just kick it aside, <laughs> be like, <laughs> car's moving along. Dude, we open the door. I got to tell you, for people that are listening, I'm very excited for these next three shows. So make sure you uh, tune in next week. Definitely. So make sure to download, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to the podcast. Again, thank you very much for joining us here on this Journey to the Draft, the 2019 edition, as it reaches its conclusion. For Fran Duffy, I'm Chris McPherson. We'll be back very soon.